Hi, welcome to Ha'ikeret, or The Message, a unique journal of original and plagiarized Jewish thought, in the merit of my grandfather, Benjamin Ari Ben Meir, and for a refuish lema, a complete healing for Esther Batsipora. Tonight, the holiday of Purim begins. Purim is when we read Megillat Esther, the book of Esther, where we hear year after year the story of the Jewish people's near annihilation, but eventual triumph. If this was a Netflix preview description, this is how I'd summarize Megillat Esther. After stealth Jewess Esther becomes queen, she hears of a plot to kill all Jews. Esther is faced with a choice, reveal her true self and save her people or die trying. It is so dramatic and I would totally watch that as a limited series, of course starring Gal Gadot, who else can play Esther Hamalka? Anyway, like most kids, I grew up loving Purim. I loved the idea of the beautiful and righteous Esther Hamalka, Queen Esther, defeating Haman Haman with her said beauty and righteousness. I loved the idea of Shushan, the city where the story takes place that I had formulated in my mind. In retrospect, I now realize that the Shushan I thought I created in my mind was definitely just a Jewish version of the made-up city of Agrabah from Aladdin. Anyway. We all grew up idolizing Esther, viewing her as the model for a strong Jewish woman, a woman who ensured the continuation of the Jewish people, a model diaspora Jew, a Jew not living in Israel. As I got older, I couldn't help but wonder, why is an intermarried Jew who hid her Jewishness, why is she our model? The question came up recently actually in the fourth grade Hebrew school class that I teach. We were learning about the Purim story, talking about Esther and how she had to hide her Jewishness, and so I asked my students if they ever felt they needed to hide their Jewishness. Some of my students said, no, I'm proud to live in a place with lots of Jews and I never feel scared to be Jewish. And others said, well, even if I'm not acting Jewish, I'm still Jewish. Always being inclusive and progressive, I quickly said, yes, of course, there are lots of ways to be Jewish but I was kind of taken off guard and I wasn't super proud of the way that I handled the situation in class. I felt I could have clarified some things or made a more definitive statement, so I consulted with a few friends who helped me realize that a better answer lies in the Purim story itself. Esther isn't the only hero. A very important character is Esther's cousin Mordechai. The whole reason Haman wanted to annihilate the Jews in the first place was because Mordechai, as a practicing Jew, refused to bow down to Haman. It was below Haman's stature to strike back at just one Jew, so he decided to strike back at all Jews. Mordechai and Esther are character foils. They are exact opposites. Mordechai is proud, unapologetic. So does this mean that Esther is ashamed and apologetic? No, whatever Esther's Jewish practice was, she obviously still filled an irreplaceable role in the events of the story. Every type of person, period, serves their purpose, and this is the message that I'm going to choose to emphasize. Of course, it would be nice if every person observed their religion in the same way that you do, because of course, you, the person listening right now of whatever faith you are, the way you observe is the exact right way, right? Kidding, of course, that's not how the world works. And we can hope and pray for everyone else to practice the way we do, but until then, the message that I am taking away from the Perm story is that we are irreplaceable cogs in the human story irreplaceable and all equally imperative. Okay, so pivoting a little bit, have you ever played the iPhone game Candy Crush? I will admit that I downloaded it ironically at first and then quickly realized that it's actually a very calming, low stakes way to give your brain some serotonin 
While I do feel it is marginally better than scrolling social media, I do not play often, I promise. If you have not played Candy Crush, I guess congrats, like you probably wake up at 4 a.m. to meditate. Good, I'm glad. This is kind of dumb, but a Parsha connection came to me as I was playing uh, Candy Crush yesterday. The basic goal of Candy Crush is to match up the same colored candy in groups of three or more. The basic three in a row match is the ground level of the game, but if you match four candies in a row, you get a fancy striped candy. If you match five pieces in a T or an L shape, you get a fancy wrapped candy. If you get two striped candies next to each other, you can combine them for a magic booster that clears out one row vertically and one row horizontally. But if you get a striped candy next to a wrapped candy, you get an even more magical booster that wipes out three horizontal rows of candy and three vertical rows of candy simultaneously. This is very exciting. Why did I just explain to you the rules of Candy Crush, you ask? Well, it's because I had an epiphany. Two striped candies together is a nice booster. Two of the same thing together making something great together. But what's better is a striped candy and a wrapped candy. Two different things together making something even greater together. In last week's Parsha Truma, we learned about the externalities of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, as a structure. In this week's Parsha, Tetzaveh, we focus more on the Kohanim, the priests, and the garments that they wore in the Mishkan. We get lots of detail about the Kohanim's dress, the beautiful, fabulous, jewel-toned garments they wore that they were Torah-commanded to wear. But what is the deal with priests anyway? Why do there get to be special people who do all the special rituals and wear all the special, beautiful, fancy clothing? It's a great question. It's also the question of why are there kings and presidents? Why are there prophets? I was inspired by the take of Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Allah Shalom, uh, his take on the Parsha because it relates back to my perm point as well. Leadership is most successful when working in counterpoint. Counterpoint referring to the musical term uh, that Rabbi Sachs defines as the technique of combining two or more melodic lines in such a way that they establish a harmonic relationship while retaining their linear individuality. Rabbi Sachs explains that every team, every group, must be made of, quote, different roles, strengths, temperaments, and perspectives. The glory of Judaism is its insistence that only in heaven is there one commanding voice. Down here on earth, no individual may ever hold a monopoly of leadership. So, Rabbi Sachs is saying that the magical candy crush booster of striped candies and wrapped candies is best to in leadership. Same plus same equals good but same plus different, magical. I'm taking this metaphor home, please prepare yourself. All of humanity is full of differently colored, wrapped, designed, colored candies. Alone, we're fine. With other people who are just like us, we are good too. But put us with those who think, act, or do differently than us. Coexistent magic. I'm wishing you a happy Purim, a Purim Sameach, and a great weekend. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks so much for listening.